The sermon this morning is following up from Easter last week, and it's, it's looking at the question, what difference does Easter make? How does Christ's resurrection make any difference in our lives today? And depending on where you are this morning, you might want to hear, or at least I hope you hear this sermon differently. If you aren't really into Jesus, if you don't really believe, then I'd really like you to hear this sermon as an invitation to the greater life that Jesus gives us. If you're kind of playing around in the shallow end of faith, not really out, but not really in, I'd like you to hear this sermon as an invitation to go to the deep end of faith, to really believe and really live out the life you've been given. And if you're on track, if you're really deep into the faith, then I'd like you to hear this sermon as a comfort, as an assurance, as a reminder of what Christ has done for you. With those thoughts in mind, let's turn to Ephesians chapter 4. I'm going to read from verse 17 to 24 of this chapter this morning. So I tell you this, and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. You, however, did not come to know Christ that way. Surely you heard of him and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. This is God's word for us gathered here this morning. So a couple years ago, we had a car that went bad. One summer, we discussed getting rid of it before winter came, but we thought, no, we can get one more year out of it. And that fall, it turned out that we were wrong. It started out with a funny clunking noise coming from the front whenever we turned, and we found out, okay, the whole steering mechanism is bad and some parts of the front axle. We thought, you know, for a few hundred bucks, no car payments for a few months, this is okay, we'll, we'll, we'll do it. So we got it fixed, a few hundred dollars. A little bit after that, the car started spewing antifreeze, and not just drop, 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 but Water pump is broken. To get at the water pump, you have to move the engine and just about everything else under the hood. A few hundred more dollars, but okay, we'll make it through another year or two. It's worth it. A few hundred dollars later, we find out that the oil leak that had been going for years had turned into four major oil leaks, and we had to repair everything from the top to the bottom. A few hundred more dollars. And as we keep going on, we... We start to think, boy, if only we could have hit the escape button a few thousand, few hundred dollars ago. But we kept thinking, boy, if we just do the next fix, if we just do the next thing, it'll finally make a turn for the better. But you realize at some point after you've poured enough money in that you can pour as much money in as you want and something else is going to break. It is just not going to get better. That's the kind of futility that Ephesians 4 talks about in verses 17 to 19. There's this downward spiral of sin that the world lives in, and it just keeps on going deeper 
and deeper. Ephesians lists a number of characteristics of that downward spiral. We're going to quickly talk through three this morning and then go on to talk about the difference that Christ makes. So first, Ephesians says that in the old self, people are darkened in their understanding. One of the first steps in this downward spiral of sin is that when people turn away from God, they go deeper and deeper into the darkness. People need the Lord. Then when they turn away from the Lord, there's this great big gap in their lives that they try to fill with all kinds of things. God is the only real meaning, the only real truth in life. And as people turn away from that, they lose touch with reality. Their minds get all twisted up and turned around. They try to fill that gap with all kinds of things, and they end up just fumbling around with trivial and worthless and meaningless things. And the further down those roads you go, the harder it is to come back. The more people grab and grasp after different things, the emptier their lives become. The further they wander from the true Lord, the harder it is to get back. And so the next step in this downward spiral is that in the old self, people become alienated from the Lord. As the old self grows darker and darker in its understanding, people grow farther and farther away from the Lord. And the more people live in those old ways, in that old self, the farther they walk down those paths, the harder and harder and harder it gets to come back. Ephesians says that people harden their hearts, and those hard hearts make them more and more ignorant, more and more separate, and more and more alienated from the Lord. C.S. Lewis once said that one of the problems with trying to make yourself stupider than you are is that you often succeed. One of the problems with trying to make yourself stupider than you are is that you often succeed. And honestly, it's stupid to turn away from God, but the more people do it, the more they turn down the God volume and do something else, the harder it is to hear God again. The harder it is to ever turn around and get back. It gets harder and harder. You get more and more alienated from the Lord. And then Ephesians shows us the end of this road. In the old self, people lose all sensitivity to what's good. They lose any sense of what's actually good, and they keep on wanting more and more and more evil. And the words there in Ephesians for losing sensitivity, they're kind of tied to the word for callous. When you become calloused, you have a spot on your skin that loses feeling. It becomes hard. You can't feel anything there anymore. It's also tied to the word for stone. When people turn away from God, their hearts become hard, like stone, unable to feel, unable to change, dead. As people get deeper and deeper into sin, they become more and more hardened. And yet they also develop a bigger and bigger gap in their lives. There's no meaning. There's no God. What do they do? And like all addiction, sin soon becomes its own punishment, In this old way of life, in the old self, people develop a greater and greater need for sin, even as sin consumes them more and more. The indulgences have to become bigger and bigger and more and more excessive for them to feel anything at all. And that gnawing need keeps on going and going until it leads to death. And so we come to the end of Ephesians 4, verse 19, and it's a dark place. And if that's where you're living today, 
If you're living in that darkness, in that alienation from God, in that downward spiral to nothingness, I urge you, I ask you, I plead with you, get off that road. Make the turn to Christ. And we'll make that turn to Christ now as we start looking at verses 20 to 24. And we'll look at some different ways that this gift of new life in Christ plays out. First, as we talk about that, Jesus takes away our old selves. Jesus delivers us from the futility and darkness of sin. He does away with the old self, with all its corruption and deceit and darkness and emptiness and futility. When we lived in Nigeria, we were there for a few years as missionaries. We lived in an area that got really, really hot. It was maybe 90 to 100 most of the year, but in hot season, it'd get up to 110, 115, occasionally 120. And when it was that hot, you are just always sweaty and miserable. I would get up in the morning and go open the gate to our fence, and I would be sweaty and miserable. I would sit on our porch and talk to guests, and I would be sweaty and miserable. I would go teach a class, and I'd be sweaty and miserable. You're catching a theme here, right? You'd roll over in bed at night, and you'd be sweaty and miserable. There was once that I was fixing one of our water tanks, and I drained it out first, climbed inside. It was a big old tank, big old black tank in hot season. And as I was working in there trying to fix the seal, I thought, you know, I would probably be less wet if I had just left the water in here because I am so sweaty right now. And you'd never, ever, ever get away from it. It got to the point you just never expected to feel clean again in your life. But then sometimes we'd go up to a city on a plateau for a few weeks, up to Jos, if you know Nigeria. The plateau was about 3,000 feet up, so it was always cooler there. We'd drop 20 or 30 degrees going up the plateau, and we'd usually drop 20 or 30% of humidity too. So we'd get there, we'd get unpacked, I'd take a shower, I'd put on our special plateau clothes that we kept there, and I'd step outside, and I wouldn't be sweaty, and I wouldn't be miserable. Oh, it was amazing. That's what Jesus does for us. He takes all that junk, all that misery, all that stuff we think we're going to have to live with forever, and he takes it away. Jesus takes our old self away. It's been wiped out, done away with. When Jesus comes in, the darkness, the pointless, the emptiness, the futility, it goes away. We're delivered from darkness, from misery into life. In verse 22, the NIV reads that we were taught with regard to our former way of life to put off our old self. And really, the way that should probably read is that we have been taught that our old self has been put off. Jesus has done it. If we belong to Jesus, that old self is no longer who we are. Some of us can remember back when we were living in that darkness. Some of us were blessed to grow up in the faith, and we never really lived in that darkness. But in either of those cases, Jesus has delivered us from the old self. He's taken the darkness away. And then along with that, Jesus gives us the new self. Jesus gives us the new self. And Ephesians phrases this idea in kind of an unusual way. 
The English smooths it out a bit, but verse 20 starts out by talking about learning Christ. And if to learn Christ, not to learn of Christ or to learn about Christ, but if to learn Christ sounds like a little bit of a funny phrase to you, it should. In the original language, it is really, really awkward. As far as we can tell, in all the old documents that we have in this language, there is no other place except in Paul here and a couple other places in his letters where that word for learn is used of a person. It's always used of an idea, of something you need, of information you need to process. Learn this skill, learn this thing. But here, it's learn this person. What we do in our new life as Christians is to learn Jesus. We put on Christ. It's not just that Jesus delivers us from the old self, it's that he gives us his own self. That's kind of an awkward English phrase, right? His own self, his very own self. But that's what Jesus gives us, his very own self. That's the great gift we receive, that Jesus gives us himself. On Good Friday, Jesus laid down his life for us. On Easter, Jesus came back to life, and he shares that life with us who belong to him. And that's how the problem of our alienation from God gets solved. Not because we do this or do that, but because Jesus comes and he brings us to life. When we profess our faith, we recognize that Jesus has given us new life and that Jesus has given us his very own self to live with him forever. And finally for today, Jesus makes us new. We've talked about how Jesus delivers us, how he saves us from our old selves, and how Jesus transforms our identity, how he gives us himself, how he changes who we are. Now in this text that we read from Ephesians, those verbs, those, the ways that it says, put off your old self and put on the new self, or rather the old self has been put off and the new self has been put on, both of those are really clearly one-time finished actions. Boom, it's done. The old self is put off. The new self is put on if we belong to Jesus. But that middle verb in that sequence of three, when Ephesians talks about the old self being put off and us being made new and the new self being put on, that middle verb, that being made new, that's an ongoing action. We are continually, continually being made new. Our renewal is an ongoing process. And just like the rest of this passage, the main focus is on what God does. God is the one who is primarily responsible for renewing us. It's not that God takes away the old self, gives us the new self, and then says, all right, be on your way, do your best. God continually works in us. He is present in us all the time, and he is always, always making us new. From beginning to end, the Christian life is all about depending on the work of God. Before we do anything else, we accept what we have been given. And even when we take active steps, we take them in response to what God has done for us. God takes away our hearts of stone and he gives us real living hearts. God takes the calloused places in our lives and he brings feeling Back to us. 
God turns us around and he brings us out of the darkness into the light. We do need to respond, but it's God who works first. And that gives us motivation to respond in gratitude, but it also gives us a deep, deep assurance that it's God's work, not our work. That our salvation, our new life, doesn't depend on how great we are, it depends on how great our Savior is. And as we think back to Good Friday and Easter, you could not ask for a greater Savior. You just couldn't. Now all of us are still broken people. We still do a lot of things that are wrong. We still continually need to be made new. But we're God's restoration projects. And God is at work making us new and restoring us all the time. This last week, one of our neighbors and I were leaning on the back fence talking, and the topic of our first cars came up. And if you've ever been around guys talking about their first cars, you know the nostalgia drips pretty thick, right? I don't even remember what car my neighbor had, some old Buick or something. But my first car, my first car was a 1982 Oldsmobile Custom Cruiser. It was one of those huge old boxes of station wagons. It had a big old V8. It had the wood paneling, three rows of seats with the back one facing backwards so you could roll down the back window and throw stuff out the car at the car behind you. I don't think that ever happened in my car, but I know some people discussed it. But by the time I sold that car, it was a piece of junk. It had an air suspension, so it rode real nice, but then the air suspension developed a leak, so it rode like you were bouncing down the road with nothing between you and the potholes. The coolant system also developed a leak, so anyone sitting in the passenger seat got antifreeze dripped on their shoes every time you turned a corner. Laura loved that car. (laughs) The carburetor went bad, so it took five minutes of priming and pumping and praying and cranking to get the thing to start. Now, on the plus side, by the time we got rid of it, the thing was theft-proof because no one but me could get it started, and no one wanted it anyway. When I sold it, we had a couple junk dealers, like scrap guys, show up and take a look at the car and say, ah, not interested, I'll pass. We finally did get it sold, and I felt kind of bad taking money for it, but I took the guy's money and told him to get out of there. So I tell this story to my neighbor over the back fence this week, and he says, but man... That would be a great car now. I mean, think about it. If you got it back and you, you have to fix it up, right? I mean, you do this, you do that, probably a new engine, all these new things you'd have to do. But imagine if you could get it back and you could fix it up and you could take it cruising this summer. Like put nine people in there and go for a summer drive with the windows down. Man, I would fight somebody to ride in that back seat. That would be awesome. Life in the old self is broken down. It's not even good for junk. There's this downward spiral that we can't get out of. Things keep getting worse and worse. But we're God's restoration project. He looks at us with all our problems and all our brokenness, and he thinks, boy, what we can make of this person, what we can do, and let's do it. And so God moves us from the old self to the new self, and he continually makes us new. He cleans us up. He works in our lives to make us better, to make us more whole, to fill our lives with meaning and hope. And yes, it's a process, and yes, there's lots of things that happen, and yes, one thing gets fixed, and we find out something else in our lives that we need to work on. But we believers, we have the life of Christ in us, 
And we are being made new creations day to day. And that is worth celebrating. It is worth celebrating the professions of faith we heard this morning because these young people, these young people, along with all of us who belong to Christ, are being made new, being made into something better than we could ever have imagined. When we learn Christ, instead of emptiness and futility, we find refreshment and hope. Instead of alienation, we find a new living relationship with God himself. So today, give up on the pointless pursuits of the world. Lay those things down, because only Jesus gives real hope. And today, rejoice in the new life that Christ brings. Today, live as a new person, because you are God's restoration project, and he is making you new in Christ.